1: Welcome, everyone, to Poised for Exit, the podcast show for business owners. My name is Julie Keyes, and I'm the host of Poised for Exit. Today, we're going to be talking about me. <laughs> we're going to be talking about me, my background, my entrepreneurial journey. Um, I've been a business owner all my life, and I want to talk about that. I want to talk to um, talk to you about my book, talk to you about some of the stories in there, And then kind of tie that all together with the work that I do and what I'm seeing for the future of entrepreneurism. But before we do that, I'd like to take a quick break and we'll talk about my Business Transition Readiness Program.
0: Do you know what it means to be transition ready? Does the thought of your future business exit bring on feelings of anxiety? If so, you are not alone. In the Business Transition Readiness Program, you'll find the answers to these questions and many more. According to award-winning certified exit planner, Julie Keys, it takes at least five years to prepare an owner and a business for a future exit. The Business Transition Readiness Program will help you unpack the complexities of exit and transition planning, shed light on the unknowns, and help prepare you and your business to exit on your own terms and not someone else's. You can get more info and register for upcoming programs at poisedforexit.com. Just click on Owner Program.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to the Poised for Exit podcast show. My name is Julie Keys, and I'm here today with Bob Sansevier, who happens to be the producer of my show. And Bob is going to take my role today and interview me. So we're going to talk about my business and some of the things that I'm working on.
0: Bob? Julie, I appreciate that, and just uh, a little background on me. I have interviewed thousands of people over the years as a reporter and also as a columnist with the uh, Pioneer Press, also at the Star Tribune, worked for AP at one point, and I've been doing a podcast for six years. So Uh, interviewing is what I do, and I want to start off by asking, when we're all young and kids... We want to know, we know as a child what we want to be. It never works out that way. Mm-hmm. But as a child, what did you want to be? I mean, whether it was in grade school or middle school or high school, did you have your heart set on one vocation?
1: That's a really good question. And I'd like to have you answer that question too, because of all your background in interviewing and radio and journalism. It's very intriguing. Um, but I'll start since you're, you asked the question of me. I'd have to say that if I were going to choose a focus, it would have been something having to do with people, working with people. Not everybody is a people person, but I am. And, and so when I was getting older and, you know, trying to decide what to do, going to school and the classes that I took, even in high school, I was taking business classes in high school. I was taking sales classes. Um, I was working in environments. My jobs were always having to do and deal with people. For a while, I worked in a nursing home for in high school and college, and, you know, that's definitely the people business, yep. and I thought at one time that I wanted to be an RN, and my dad encouraged me to go into sales because he thought that I would do better there, and so then when I went to school, I went to school for marketing and sales, and I got my degree in that, and marketing has changed a lot. Sales hasn't changed as much, Okay. Um, there's still a lot about marketing that's the same as it's always been, and there's a whole lot that's way different, and this was a long time ago.
0: Well, social media has certainly impacted oh. how people market. Absolutely. Now, when did you transition into what you're doing now? Did You, you mentioned some of the jobs you had when you were, you were younger. Mm-hmm. At any point, did you think, you know what, I think I'll stick with this, and then you transitioned to another job and another? Mm-hmm. Or was it shortly after you leave high school and you know, college years that you decided, this is what I want to do?
1: Mm-hmm. Good question. I think I've, I have evolved into entrepreneurism. I've always had an inde- independent spirit. I've always been kind of a do it yourself, you know, take the bull by the horns, just make it happen. And, um, and see how far I could push myself. Um, not afraid to take risks, as long as they're calculated. And, um I didn't start out with owning a business, but I, I figured that at some point I probably would. I grew up in an entrepreneurial household, and generationally on both sides of my family, we got you know people with their own business that go back quite a ways. And so I kind of grew up with that and um, that that sense of not just independence but being able to make your own decisions and grow and give yourself a raise when you work really hard. So when I started out in the mortgage business out of college – um, that was, (laughs) that was interesting. I was the only woman loan officer in the Twin Cities in those days. in the mid 1980s and, you know, straight commission work. Um, you know, I still had to pay rent, still had a car payment, all those kinds of things. But I learned very quickly that it can be a very lucrative role if you do it right. And a lot of it had to do with sales, but you really needed to know and understand finance, which was a long learning curve for me, but I did well. And then I left that, And um, got married and got into the title business. And so we started our own title insurance company in 1989 um, and then formed another company. So we owned, at the end of the day in 2008, when we transitioned out, we had two title companies, a mortgage brokerage and a property management company. Everything fed itself.
0: Now, when you started, what were rates at? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, mortgage.
0: You, you certainly were not part of that uh, <sighs> 13% or 18% for mortgage rates. That no. would have been the, what, the late 80, 70s, early 80s. Yeah, eighty eighty
1: one. yeah, they were really high then. No, when I got into the business, it was about 1985. Interest rates had dropped to an all-time low, they used to say, of 12.5%. And so we were doing a lot of refinancing and uh, moved... You know, the rates continually dropped, like that whole 10 years that I was originating loans, they just continually got got lower, and no one ever expected that they would ever drop below and get into single digits again, and they did.
0: Well, so. I bought my first, uh, it was a townhouse <laughs> in Uptown. Uh, Minneapolis, and I got it. I was thrilled to get it at ten percent. Oh, I know, you know, right? You know at the time it was a great deal. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah, back in the day when when you'd have to build in like six or seven points into a deal so that you could make the deal work so people could qualify the old program, what was called a three two one buy down, yeah. right? You start them out at thirteen or twelve percent and you buy them down the first year three percent so they can qualify. But then, you know, in order for the deal to actually happen, they would take that. The cost of that financing and plug it into yeah. the price
0: of the house. Yeah. Now, what what made you decide? Because you did mortgage and then you did a title company and then you had like a conglomerate of everything having to do with buying a home to to transition into exit planning.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that now that evolved too, right? Well, my husband at the time was also a real estate attorney, and so the work that he did kind of fed and and um, um, supplied services for all of those companies. So it was actually a really great. We had a really great run. We had three locations. I managed a lot of people. I learned through that process that being an entrepreneur is awesome. The hardest part for me was managing the people. I've, just, I've determined that there are certain people who are really good managers, um, especially of people. And then there are certain people who have really good leadership skills. And I'm a leader. I'm not a manager.
0: That's, a, so, that's an important distinction. A lot of people don't it's huge. make that distinction, but it is a mm-hmm. big one.
1: It's huge. And so through that process of learning, and then our, our marriage ended, we got divorced, um, sold the companies, and I knew I wanted to be in some kind of business. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I took a job for a couple of years so I could qualify for my own mortgage, um, and this all happened within six months. I I bought a house, closed, quit my job, launched my coaching practice, went to Connecticut for a, an immersion of training. Um, and that all happened, like I said, that all happened in six months. And, um, and then I, I, I worked with businesses and consulted for businesses for about five years and then um, started acquiring clients who were of the age where they needed to start talking about transition planning. And I realized I needed to learn more about it. And I was getting to the point where I needed to start thinking about that, right? Well, not really. I'm going to be doing this the rest of my life. I love this work. So I feel like I'm in my second act now doing this work. And, and so that's another whole distinction with exit planning too. And I learned more about what it is and that there is actually a designation. So I heard about the exit planning Institute, went through the training, got my certification, um, and then maintained my credential since then. And, and, and I'm now a faculty member for them, Um, I also deliver workshops and things like that for them. And in in addition to the work that I do for business
0: owners. So it's interesting and perhaps ironic that the exit planner does not plan to exit. Yeah. You said you're going to do it the rest of your life. So you don't, you're going to, you know, that you, in all likelihood, you'll have another 40, 50 years ahead of you.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know about that. But,
0: but, I mean, if you're you're going to do it right until it's it's,
1: it's, it's with science today, you could be doing another 200 years. Maybe. Who knows? I, I just like the work that I do. I think it's impactful. Um, I think it, it, a lot of the – I mean, you could even call it a social enterprise in a way because of, of the fact that when a business owner exits on their own terms and the outcome is good, the ripple effect of that and the people that it affects
0: are far-reaching. When you think about it – go back to your first exit planning for someone. Mm-hmm. How apprehensive were you? Were you questioning yourself, or did you have the confidence that what you were giving them was absolutely the right thing? Because whenever there's a first of something, Mm -hmm. you go back and think, well, how could I have done this better? Was that a big learning curve for you, that very first one, or did you have several Mm -hmm. going on at once?
1: Well, actually, yes, it was a learning curve, and the learning curve occurred when I had several going on at once, and each one is different. You know, The process of putting someone through transition planning doesn't change a whole lot there's there's still the same components there's still the preparedness on the owner side on the business side that doesn't change but the exit options are definitely going to be different depending upon what the owner wants and needs depending upon what kind of business they own um how? What kind of a candidate it might be for a third party sale or an ESOP or anything like that, right? So internal sale versus external sale. What do they really want? Is it a family business? Yeah. So the, there's still I'm still on the learning curve.
0: Well, I'm guessing that the, it's crazy. If, if there's rules or a template, the template would change if it is a family business as opposed to selling to the outside. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing that that would be a tougher one for for fam- for the owner. To turn it over, because you could have s- several children, mm-hmm. and it's not always a pecking order like it is when you name the new king. Right. It's not always the oldest who's the best qualified. Mm-hmm. So, or,
1: or interested.
0: Well, that, you're right. That's another good point, if they're interested in doing it. Right. Have you had many of those where no one in the family wanted the business? Yes. Did the and, and th- I was going to ask this in a different form, but did the owner stay on longer than they, he or she had hoped to stay on?
1: Um, I'm going to answer that question um, kind of as a blanket statement that most of the people that I work with stay on longer than what they wanted to or plan to.
0: Is it because they can't let go, and it's justified, or they think it can't run at the level and the efficiency it is, in if they're not there? It's a
1: combination of things. Um, sometimes it's because they're just plain not ready. Um, they're not financially ready. They're not emotionally ready. Um, their their business isn't ready. Uh, If they leave, the business can go away because it's too dependent upon them. Even a $20 million company or a $30 million company can have dependency issues. And so we have to figure out where the, the biggest obstacles are
0: and start there. Have you had many, if any, clients who called and said, Julie, I'm ready to retire, and it turned out they weren't. Julie, let's just wait. Then they called again and maybe again. I mean, have there been several starts and stops by clients of wanting to do it, but they just can't let go? I mean, some of them leave leave these jobs and they're just lost, right? I would think that would happen.
1: Yeah, I think that happens to anybody who's in an executive position, whether they own the company or not. There's a whole like industry of people who are out there called life coaches, and part of the work they do is work with executives to help them figure out What's next for them, whether they own a business or not, and so for me in my practice, next act planning, which is what I like to call it, because not everybody retires. Entrepreneurs yeah. entrepreneurs tend to not retire because they always have to have something cooking, something. you know, unless they have to, right? Unless there's a health issue, but um, just having that next act and knowing what that's going to be. But to answer your question, I have had. Um, people not necessarily stop and start, but I have had people contact me because they know what I do, and and they just figure it's going to take two or three months.
0: You know? That's uh. what was stunning to me when we first <laughs> met. I thought, oh, exit planning, you call them. Like, here, it's mid-October. I want to quit at the end of the year. It doesn't work that way. I mean, it, for them to do it right, they would call you now, and could it be the end of next year, the end of 2021 or would it be the end of 2022? I mean, how long on average mm-hmm. do you need to actually exit the position of authority or the ownership?
1: Boy, ideally I would say 5 years, but I almost Five? Ne- yeah, I almost never get that much time. And and it's ironic that you chose October because well, of course we are in October, but I literally got a phone call like that In October, someone called me, and this was a few years ago, and he had been to one of my seminars two years prior, hung on to my business card for two years, calls me up out of the blue, asked me if I remember, of course, I didn't remember him, um, and and just said, well, I I know you do exit planning and I'm ready. Um, Can we get this done by the end of the year? And here we are in (laughs) mid-October. Two and a
0: half months.
1: (laughs) And I didn't laugh because he didn't know, you know, and I said, well, that depends. You know, I, I said, it depends on a lot of things. So let's just, let's figure out where you're at uh, first, and then we'll figure out a path. And so it ended up being two and a half years later that they transitioned from the business. And wow. it ended up being an internal transfer and instead of an external, which wasn't um, what I recommended, but, but that was what they chose. And they ended up getting a lot less for the business. But the important thing for them was to carry on the legacy and not necessarily have that larger liquidity event.
0: Do you find most of the people who come to you built the business from the ground up and they are longtime owners of it? Or do you get some that they've been executives elsewhere and they've only been there for a short period of time but decide, you know, it's I'm pushing X age and I mm-hmm. need to start thinking about it. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing, again, and you will correct me if I'm wrong, that most of the people you talk to have had the businesses for a long period of time. Is Mm -hmm. that accurate, or do you get Mm -hmm. some that are just short-term, and they've decided this is the last job, so I need to start thinking about it?
1: I haven't worked with anybody short-term yet, um, but I suppose I will at some point. But I definitely have worked with ground up, and I've also definitely worked with entrepreneurs who have uh, purchased the business from the original founder. Okay. And then grew the business over a period of years and and are ready now to move on to the next thing.
0: One I'm gonna transition into this. When did you decide? I've worked with so many people and I've learned so much about them in this process, I need to write a book about it. Now, was mm-hmm. that also a you decided and several years later you wrote, mm-hmm. or was it you decided on a Monday and Tuesday you started writing? <laughs>
1: Well, this is this this book that I just finished is actually the the third book project, and I actually finished this one. The first two didn't finish. Um, they're and, still not finished. They're not. They may. Um, we don't need to go into the subject matter of either one of them. Um well, I can I guess the first one was more of a personal memoir. The second one, uh, and it, it and it's still there. you know, I may pick it up again. I kind of lost interest to be honest. The second one was more about a cr- chronicles of a female entrepreneur was what I my working title, not necessarily what I would have called it. And then, as I was writing that and writing about different situations that I'd been with been in, I should say, as a business owner, I thought, gosh, there's so many other business owners who have so many other stories that I should be sharing. And so it evolved into, The book that I wrote called "Poised for Exit," and I decided to have it focused on the stories of women entrepreneurs because I couldn't find anything out there that had ever focused on women entrepreneurs and their story. Well, so
0: actually, I mean, just the first one—you're still too young to do a memoir. That's decades (laughs) from now. The second one—that's an interesting one, though. Mm -hmm. You know, the 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 maybe work on the title, like you said, "The Entrepreneur Chronicles," Mm -hmm. but. The third one, it's good that you did it, and that's been out for how many months now? Or was it a year almost?
1: Well, we launched in May, so okay. just not even six months yet. And uh, truly, we had a very nice event planned, an in-person event with food and entertainment and wine and you know, sponsors and speakers and all the, kinds of stuff. And then that of of pesky
0: COVID came along? Yeah,
1: that didn't happen. So we tried to do it via Zoom. It was okay. But
0: but you, the type of book you wrote, are you planning to have more vo- – is it going to be a set? Because there's so many mm-hmm. stories that you can tell and probably mm-hmm. so many you left out.
1: Mm. I'm sure that there would be more stories that I could tell, and there's still there are that, that aren't included in that book. Um, maybe. I, I, I definitely envision um, a revision of that book or another edition, right, the next edition, because there's so much more that I could plug in. Um, Some things that I probably would add to what I wrote. I made it short on purpose because I know entrepreneurs don't necessarily like to read books. And I also made it actionable because I know that a lot of business owners are going to look at that book and go, well, just let's cut to the chase and tell me what I got to do. I know that that's what a lot of them are doing. And so that's why there's a checklist behind each chapter plus the tools that are in the back of the book so that they can actually take some
0: action. Well. Every show you have where you interview someone, you ask them for a couple of action items. So what are your action items?
1: Well, let's see. How about if I make them um, centered, <laughs> centric on key strategies? Buy the book if you haven't bought it yet. If you're a business owner or an advisor, it really doesn't matter. If if you're not familiar with the exit planning process and who needs to be involved I think that the book would really teach you a lot about that because you'd be able to see and hear about the stories of other entrepreneurs who've gone through it. And I think that as human beings, we really are wired for stories, and so that's why I told it through story. And then if you are a business owner, I would like to see you in my next business transition readiness program so that you can do um, take some action and do some things Before maybe you're not, maybe you're not even ready to sell for five years or 10 years, but I will tell you that that workshop is worth its weight in gold and you will learn a ton and you're going to have yourself a lot more prepared and ready for, for maybe perhaps an opportunity, right? If opportunity knocks and you're not ready and your business isn't ready, then you've lost it and you may never get it again. Um, It could also prepare you for, um, what we call one of the five Ds, right? We're all living in disaster right now. But the five Ds are death, divorce, disability, disagreement, and disaster. And the pandemic has been a disaster in a lot of ways for a lot of people. So
0: That's well, ruined businesses.
1: Mm-hmm. And so the workshop talks about contingency planning and how to safeguard your, yourself.
0: Do you, you sparked a th- another question. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have many people who want to exit from one business because they have another one? That they want to start and that needs their full attention.
1: Sometimes, yeah. Right? I do, yeah, definitely. I mean, and
0: an entrepreneur would be likely to be doing something like yeah, that. Yeah, there
1: are plenty of serial entrepreneurs in Minnesota too. And and you definitely want to be able to transition well because if if the sale of that business is going to be funding the next one
0: You need that money. Right?
1: Yeah, well, and you want to make sure that you make the right choices for how you get out. You you certainly don't want to have a long earnout, right? Um, And you you maybe don't want to sell it internally because you don't generally get as much for the business and it's a little riskier selling internally versus externally. So there's all those things to know too.
0: Now, do you sometimes have to coax people by saying, just throw Emeritus on your title? (laughs) (laughs) President Emeritus! (laughs) You know, maybe it makes it easier because they still have a title. And as I say that, um, sort of the coach Emeritus, uh, the Vikings, Bud Grant, he has had an office at the facility, when it was Eden Prairie, and now out in Egan, they have had an office for him that he goes to since he stopped coaching in 1986. Wow! It's like they said he has a contract for life, and what said he goes there just to use the phones because you remember when it before we had cell phones, <laughs> you had long distance charges, and he didn't want to pay long distance, so he still goes though to Egan, because wow. it gives him thing you know something, something to, do. to do, right? You know, and apparently they turned his office. It's it's like being in a cabin because they mm-hmm. have all that wood paneling that you see in cabins. And mm-hmm. it sounds like I haven't I was certainly in his office in Eden Prairie, but not in uh, in Egan. And the reason I would, I was a columnist, a sports columnist mm-hmm. at the Pioneer Press. But I mean, sometimes people do you find that they let go, but they they kind of every day for decades they went to the same place. Mm-hmm. Do you have some just go and mm-hmm. do work from an office, and that makes the transition out even easier for them.
1: Well, I think um, you know to your point about Bud Grant, what what a great resource to have available whenever he is there for you know some of the younger coaching staff as well as the players to be able to to pick his brain, right? Just to bounce a scenario off of him. And I actually have two clients right now that I'm working with who thought when we first started working together that they needed to position themselves and their company for sale because they thought that they had to get out. And that's almost never the case unless you're ill, right, or you're just sick of it and you got to move on to something else. You don't need to move on. You can stay a part of the company. Sure. You know, we just want to make sure that we have good leadership groomed so that you have options and you can be there as much or as little as you want. But you do definitely need to identify what your role is going to be in the future. And say, for instance, you know, one of the clients that I was working with this morning, we talked about this. I said, okay, what if your new role with this business were as chairman of the board? Um, advisor to the business and you meet with your leadership team once a quarter. And if there's anything else that comes up that they really need help with, they can call upon you. But for the most part, they're making all the day to day decisions and you're out of that. How does that sound? And you just said, That sounds great. I said, you could do that for the rest of your life and and you know, continue to own the majority of the company or not. Ownership, you can make that decision outside of of what your role is. Sure. Right? Um, so we have to be able to encourage business owners to think about what all their options are instead of just one, because if they think that they have to be done and out, I think that that can be a deterrent from them getting the process started at all. It's too scary.
0: Now they and having your hand in it still is a, is a great option for right. them. Right Now, if people want to get the book, um, remind them again the best way to do that, and the best way to get in touch with you if there's mm-hmm. listeners who are thinking, you know, I think I might get out in a few years.
1: Yeah, well, if you wanted to look into that program I was talking about, or the book, both are available on the Poised for Exit website, so it's poisedforexit.com, and you can get a hold of me through that website as well.
0: Julie, thanks so much. You're, you're Actually, you're a terrific guest. Well, thank I appreciate you. the opportunity to interview you, and now you, uh, I'm going to turn it back to you to close out the show the way you normally do.
1: Well, thank you, Bob. And you do such a fine job interviewing, too, by the way. I just wanted to tell you that. (laughs) For our listeners, this episode will be available, as usual, for download on the Poised for Exit website. That's poisedforexit.com, where you can get a copy of that book called Poised for Exit. Please do rate and review and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. We really appreciate the support. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, and please join us again next time.